Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome back to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us at episode 95, and today we're talking all about starting your journey in functional medicine and identifying the variances of functional versus conventional medicine and how you can get started on your path. So Allie Miller here, and Becky's joining me today, as always. Hi, everyone. (laughs) So this is a topic that I get asked all the time, and I try my best to be a good mentor and provide resources and links, and I'm often referring people back to episode one of the podcast, Who is Allie Miller, (laughs) where we talk about my journey and my process. And today we'll go a little bit deeper into my personal experience, but we'll also be talking about resources that are out there and how you can get started if you're looking at making a career change or enhancing your career. Yes, we get this question all the time and I wish I could sit down with, you know, every intern and and everyone who wants to have a cup of coffee and talk about how we both got started. And obviously, Allie's been doing this a lot longer um, than I have, but it's definitely one we get asked all the time and via Instagram. So if you guys are looking to make some kind of career jump or um, you know, just getting started in your nutrition path, definitely tune into this episode. And I think even if you're a listener that isn't looking for those changes. Hopefully today we'll have some good nuggets of information so that you can understand the practitioner you're working with, maybe the variances behind backgrounds of a practitioner that you're going to pay (laughs) to work with to determine maybe what their rate is, their true value, their educational background. And then again, understand why you would consider someone with a background in or a skill set in functional medicine over the more allopathic or conventional field. Yes, I think super helpful all around. So don't turn us off, even if you're not looking to change careers. (laughs) So let's jump in, Allie, with what functional medicine is and just define that a little bit more for listeners. Sure. So in in the most simplistic way, the the best way I describe is it's looking at patient science-based, patient-centered science-based approaches and trying to determine the underlying mechanisms of disease and working with more upstream medicine versus downstream. And so we're looking at underlying root causes of chronic conditions using laboratory assessment and, of course, the story of the individual, their history, their symptoms, the expression of the imbalance in their body. And a functional practitioner really should be a good detective of the body, and they should be able to determine where the antecedent or triggering events of dysfunction lay, and then using their background in biochemistry, anatomy and physiology, disease processes and mechanisms of action of compounds, use nutraceuticals or nutritional supplements, as well as diet strategy and potentially other holistic modalities 
to bring that patient above water and get them into an optimal mode of, of function. So improving the function of the body. And when we compare that to more of our conventional medicine model or what is termed as allopathic, allopathic is what we see as the standard American medical model and you know, naturopathic would be on the other bank of the river. Um, when we look at conventional or allopathic medicine, it starts with the desire to diagnose um, because often that type of a medical model is using an insurance-based field. And so diagnosis becomes a very key strategy in medical care. They want to know these ICD-10 codes, you know, what, how are we coding and categorizing this patient? And when we do that, we tend to dumb down our approach to these standard algorithms or basically treatment strategies or protocols that are governmentally mandated or industrialized and don't take the zebra or individuality of the individual into consideration. Yes, I think that's the biggest takeaway for me at least is is looking at our client or our patient as an individual rather than a diagnostic code or a disease state or their symptoms they're a human being um, yeah. and kind of meeting them where they're at and and figuring out what their individual story is so oftentimes we are going all the way back to you know someone's birth story or um, you know yeah. way back when the first time I often ask when was the first time you noticed something was off in your body? Yes. Often yes. It's way before they got that diagnosis slapped on them, you know, five years ago, it, it came way before that. And it's, it's seeking the why versus just the what. Um, often in the conventional model, it's just the what and then the what we're going to do to silence this versus the why this occurred and how we can resolve. Yes, exactly. So let's talk, Allie, about your experience and exposure to functional medicine, kind of how you first um, stuck your toe in this, this giant pond um, that <laughs> is functional medicine. Where did you find out about it? Yeah, so I was at a naturopathic college of medicine, so Bastyr University, which we'll speak a little bit more to their programs in, in a little bit, but um, I went to Bastyr University outside of Seattle, Washington, and uh, it's the only board-certified naturopathic college of medicine that actually allows standard of standard of excuse me education within the American College of Medicine model. So uh, very highly regarded. And naturopathic medicine is different than functional medicine in the mindset that. It does a lot of what we were saying as far as it's patient-centered, but it's a little bit less intensive on the science and biochem part. Naturopathic medicine is more about herbal medicine. It is more about definitely food as medicine approaches, but it may encompass like traditional Chinese medicine. So working with like yin and yang foods, or it may be more integrated with uh, Ayurvedic approaches. And so natural medicine is kind of this umbrella and then functional integrative medicine, I, I find to be kind of like the Venn diagram <laughs> that overlaps allopathic and, and naturopathic medicine. Um, and so as I was at Bastyr, I was taking any elective I could dig into. So I was taking herbal medicine making, I was doing um, 
plant identification and uh, mushroom foraging in the forests. Uh, there's a, a, a national forest that Bestier's campus is within. It's pretty amazing. Um, and um, it was more, you know, kind of like hippie focus, I guess, is the easiest way to describe it. Um, so a lot of time outside, a lot of time in the organic gardens and, and connecting to, yes, foods as medicine. Um, and then there was definitely intensive science coursework. But one course in particular that I took as an elective was called Functional Medicine for the Nutrition Practitioner or, or something similar to that. And um, it was taught by Michelle Babb. And she actually was one of the pioneer dietitians for the IFM, the Institute of Functional Medicine. She actually developed their first level of their food plans and worked pretty intimately with, with Jeff Bland, Dr. Jeff Bland. And um, he is the individual that coined the term functional medicine. So Dr. Bland is phenomenal. And he came as a guest lecturer to our, to our maybe third or fourth class. And we were using the functional medicine matrix in our class. And it was just a different way of charting um, and, and, you know, medical uh, assessment and looking at things in this, this functional medicine matrix is very classic use of these diagrams that the IFM still uses to date. And um, I was really inspired by it. And when he talked, it was like fireworks going off in my brain. Um, he talked about Linus Pauling. He talked about orthomolecular approaches of nutritional interventions. I mean, starting with the story of, you know, how vitamin C cured scurvy, essentially. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah. So, so food actually and nutrition and actual strategic nutrients have biochemical mechanisms in the body that can heal disease. You know, I, I don't know, for some reason I had never made that connection. And I think that with my background at Bastyr, a lot of the dosing and the use of tools was very maybe passive. It wasn't strategically aggressive. And this concept of orthomolecular or high dosing of nutrients just like, I mean, like I said, fireworks in my brain. I was like, this is, this, this is what I want to do. This is what I need to learn more about. Yeah, so let's back it up and just define what orthomolecular medicine is for those who aren't super clear on it. Um, so as a good example, I think vitamin C is probably, it's the first time that we saw that. Um, and I know Linus Pauling talks a lot about high-dose vitamin C and going beyond kind of what the traditional or recommended dose yeah. is. Yeah. Is this a component of functional medicine um, or is it its own practice entirely? Where does that fall? I, I believe it to be a component of functional medicine for certain. And I think, like I said, that's kind of the, the strategies and, and interventions of functional integrative medicine. I think that's what sets apart a little bit from naturopathic medicine, which can be a little bit more like, ah, feeling and listening and, <laughs> and being, and that's all wonderful and, and necessary, you know, um, taking the time to, to talk about breath and being with the client and um, really looking at that holistic approach of healing, orthomolecular is mega dosing of nutritional compounds as a pharmaceutical-like strategy of intervention, right? And so we're actually looking at up to tolerance, how we can strategically use nutrients to influence biochemical pathways in the body and maybe even on what the other term I learned from Dr. Bland that day back in 2007 was the term 
nutrigenomics and epigenetics. And that was like, what? The idea that high dose nutrients, um, and as we've talked about in past episodes with, um, goodness, he's a best year grad. Why is my brain dirty genes? Um, ben Lynch. Thank you, Dr. Ben Lynch. Same, you know, he went to best year as well. And, and with Dr. Lynch, that same idea and strategy that this nutrigenomic pathway that you can actually use nutrients in strategic composition to up or down regulate genetic expression. I mean, that's just like, wow, it's, it's so awesome. It's so empowering. And that's the whole concept of also when I launched my private practice, I wanted to launch a private label supplement line to make these pharmaceutical grade products accessible to the public because anything you buy over the counter is going to be is not going to yield orthomolecular results. Sure. Um, so just as a refresher or just to familiarize people a little bit with functional medicine, let's just take three different approaches or I guess three different conditions, if you will, um, and talk about what a functional approach would look like versus conventional. Yes. So again, we're always looking at the why versus just seeing something. So one of the most common that I like to bring up is uh, elevated TSH, right? So, so many general practitioners, when they test the thyroid of the patient, they only run TSH, which is wild because that's your thyroid stimulating hormone. And yes, in a hypothyroid set, the TSH should go up because you should be stimulating more production. And if you're hypothyroid, excuse me, yes, hypothyroid, the TSH will go up. If you're hyperthyroid or overproducing thyroid hormone, that TSH should be very suppressed, right? And so in theory, if the feedback mechanism is working, it's going to be used as a diagnostic tool to assess hypo or hyperthyroidism. However, many practitioners then will prescribe synthetic T4, so levothyroxine or Synthroid, based on this TSH value alone. So if they see an elevated TSH, they might bring that in. And they don't maybe look at if the free T4 in the bloodstream is ample or if the free T3 is ample. Maybe the individual needs minerals that help to convert that T4 to T3. And those same minerals, if they repleted, would also engage favorably to reduce anxiety and help with hair growth and help with chronic fatigue syndrome, right? So it's like understanding why something is going on versus just giving a band-aid is really important and connecting what that assessment level is. So TSH is made by the pituitary in the brain. Maybe that individual has HPA axis imbalance, and we need to look deeper into that rabbit hole. So, you know, that's a very classic, I think, way of, of hopefully for listeners segregating, you know, in, in medical school, the standard allopathic way is we see this value, we give this drug. In a functional integrated model, we say, we see this value, let's look deeper to why. Um, and maybe we can work with something that will have more upstream effects to improve other multifactorial symptoms of dysfunction. So you can take the same idea when we're looking at autoimmune disease, right? So with autoimmune conditions, a lot of times the conventional model is to suppress, use an immunosuppressant drug to shut down the overactive immune system. Well, the negative impact of that is that, of course, the high risk for cancer, right? Or um, you know, the immune susceptibility to virus and even things like cold and flu and having that immune compromised state because the drug is shutting down that surveillance system of the body. 
with functional medicine approaches, we want to figure out why the immune system is attacking the body and reduce the drivers that are influencing the attack as well as reduce the, inf the influence of the attack itself, the chemical inflammatory mediators that are creating the destruction. So we look actually more on the pathway of destruction and what's creating the signaling of destruction in a functional model. Sure. Um, so, yeah, you know, you go. Uh, we talked a lot about this back in episode 93 on getting autoimmune disease into remission. So I think there's yeah. a lot of good stuff there about um, more into the functional approach versus conventional. Again, um, in the conventional approach, it's often blocking a pathway or shutting a door. And in functional medicine, it's like looking at the whole situation before you close that door. Exactly. I mean, so we could apply that to infertility. We could apply that to heartburn. We could, I, I think that there's an episode also early, early on that, you know, we go deep into, it's, it's actually called what is functional medicine. And um, it's, it's very thorough going into a lot of different topics. Awesome. I'll make sure that we link to that in the show notes. Um, and yeah, I think it's back in, is that episode four in the yes. archives? Yes. Yeah. Functional approaches to cholesterol and heartburn, depression and anxiety. Um, now, since that's your recent focus with the book coming out, let's just revisit some of the conventional treatments that are involved um, in terms of antidepressants in the form of SSRIs. Let's talk about this one because this is a biggie. Okay, and then we promise we'll get into education. Yes. <laughs> so, um, yes, so you know, SSRIs are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And so these drugs work on a feedback mechanism of blocking the uh, feedback that there's enough serotonin hitting the brain. So there's this perpetual serotonin signaling, right? So the reuptake is inhibited. So there's not a recycling reuse. There's a constant signaling and, and, and uh, basically like ding-donging of the doorbell, if you will. Well, over time, we can see the negative impact is that this can lead to serotonin depletion, where basically the medication loses its effects. We're, we're kind of continually scooping from the soup pot but we're not giving the tools to replete serotonin levels. And um, often that's just where SSRIs lose their function. You know, you might get a really good benefit from Zoloft or something like that, uh, Lexapro in the first three to six months, and then you can have more severe anxiety or depression. You can also get mania with excessive serotonin syndrome. Um, and so the idea in functional medicine is working with a we like to assess neurotransmitters so i use the neurotransmitter urinary assessment by labrix in my clinic and i talk about this in my book and you know i'm actually looking at is serotonin even something that we're targeting right or is it gaba depletion or is it that the individual is making too much epinephrine or they don't have enough dopamine you know and that's a concept of the new school of drugs, which are SSRNIs. So SSRNIs are looking at selective serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibition. And these now are acknowledging, you know, what the adrenals do have a play in depression and anxiety as well as serotonin. And that's where like Wellbutrin falls into that category, right? Um, and so there are dopamine um, influencing drugs as well now that are on the market. But I think the first line of defense is understanding what's imbalanced versus literally what practitioners do now is they just cherry pick a drug. They're like, oh, let's take this one without understanding what's off. Um, and then if you can understand what's deficient, 
You can actually work with the amino acid precursors or building blocks and the cofactors. Um, so for in the instance of serotonin, we can work with tryptophan or 5-HTP, and then we can work with B6 in food forms and supplement forms, and we can make 5-hydroxytryptophan, which is the intermediary from tryptophan into serotonin. And we can support that by giving probiotic, which we know 90% of our serotonin is manufactured in the gut with lactam bifidobacteria. So we can work holistically on the production pathway. We can work on the conditions that enhance production, which is a good symbiotic gut. And we can work with the nutrients strategically to build the compounds that we might be deficient in. But the first line of defense is what is the deficiency? Sure. And if you're not assessing that, then how can you possibly prescribe a drug? It's just, it's beyond my <laughs> comprehension. It it's wild. That's, that's how things work now. It's totally wild. It's jaw dropping. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, this one didn't work. So let's try something with a different modality, but like, Cocktail, yeah. exactly. Um, so beyond just providing those tools, Allie, to help to build those amino acid precursors, um, is it possible to wean someone off of an antidepressant or is that too risky? Is that something that you deal with? Yeah, so you, you can, and there's compounds you can use in conjunction, right? Like L-theanine, which is a great modulator. So for instance, our Calm and Clear formula is a great tool that can be used in conjunction with SSRI drugs. And even the GABA Calm can um, be used in conjunction, but blends of herbs and B vitamins and L-theanine, like the Calm and Clear is, is developed to be, are really the best tool to help to create foundational support. And then there are protocols and strategies, absolutely, but it starts with testing. I would never look at a wean without knowing where someone's serotonin level was at. And then you can work hand in hand with that practitioner to redu reduce dosage as you bring in the 5-HTP so that you don't have this dam effect in this crash. Because a lot of people, as they try to wean off of those drugs, have a kind of boomerang effect of their symptoms uh, because they were constantly ringing a doorbell and then that stimulation gets removed and they're coming from such a depleted state. Sure. And I want to go so much deeper here. But <laughs> book comes not out. It's topic, right? Yes, it's not at all. Um, the book will be out in the next couple of weeks, and I'm sure we'll have some fun episodes on neurotransmitters and just so, so much more when that actually comes out. Yeah, and if you're really burning curious right now, you can go on AllieMillerRD.com, and you know, under books and programs, there is a tab for the anti-anxiety diet. And there you can learn more about the book. You can purchase it. You can also learn about our five uh, nutritional supplements that we use in clinic to manage mood stability. So that's all on today. Let's talk about functional medicine. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so staying on topic of how to start a career in functional medicine, now that you have an idea of the kinds of things that we do and what we address, um, or just the tip of the iceberg of them, I think. Um, I know so many people are so inspired by your work, Allie, and I know a lot of people are asking about schools and career shifts to become a practitioner. So let's get into some options for advanced education, foundational education, I guess, comes before that. Um, and then really, before we even go there, let's talk about um, 
being a nutritionist versus being an RD? Because I know this is yes. something I came to you at my like career <laughs> transition <laughs> moment of like, oh, I think I actually want to do something with nutrition instead of just kind of um, giving advice without a license. Which Running a juice bar. <laughs> and like advising on a vegan diet and like, you know, totally wrong about so many things. But um yeah, Let's and I, talk I about can't, what that looks like. Yeah. I can't get a bacon bloody mary with everyone to have this conversation. <laughs> I think we had this conversation over a bacon bloody mary. We did. <laughs> it makes everything much more pleasant. We yeah. should have had one for the nostalgia of this conversation. Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Monday doesn't sound right though to do that. Um, so yes. So a uh, registered dietitian and an RDN is the same. So a registered dietitian nutritionist that I I'm not first off to be clear I am not a member of the Academy, I believe it's called. Is that correct? Yeah, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Okay, so I, I'm not a paying member of <laughs> yeah. ANS. Yes, um, right, because I don't even know the name. And that is, then there's the, the, and that is one of the main kind of credentialing boards. So I am a registered dietitian, and RD and RDN are the same licensure um, or registration, I suppose. And then a functional medicine RD does advanced coursework, which we'll speak about in a moment, which would be beyond that licensure. Then there is a CCN, which is a certified clinical nutritionist. Now a CCN has to have at least a master's of science in nutrition. So they very well could be as educated or more so than an RD, to be fair. Um, and then there's also a DACBN, which is the diplomat of the American College Board of Nutrition, which has to be at PhD level or above. So a DACBN also could very well be more educated than an RD. But generally speaking, when you see the letters RD or RDN, that means that they've had at least four years of college education and some pre-med education intertwined within that. And then it was a credentialed schooling that allowed them to sit for their board examination to become a registered dietitian. So that definitely as a kind of rule of thumb would be superior over anyone with just the word nutritionist with the exception of that term CCN of the licensure and then someone that lists like their masters of science as credentials after their name. Sure. And there's, Go ahead. I was going to say by state, it's going to vary dramatically. Um, like the program I went through, we had the option to become a CNS as well, which is only, you know, verified in, I think, about eight states. Um, so it really depends on where you live, like how right. you can practice and what your scope would look like with all of these different credentials. I'm sure you're going to go there. <laughs> I am. Yeah. And then there's naturopathic doctor or an ND, a chiropractor and a DO, which we will not be talking about today, but those are career options, right? Which would kind of incorporate functional medicine potentially. Um, and the, the biggest thing that I would say is a pro of, if, if you're looking at the variance of a nutritionist to a dietitian, the pro of an RD is that you can work within a medical institution you can likely, it depends on, again, state licensure because there's an LD or a licensed dietitian world as well where you can order labs, you can open up supplement accounts um, with pharmaceutical grade lines. You can have more of an acknowledged coordination of care as an RD because of that medical institution overlap working with physicians. And um, you can work actually as a clinician to, to most levels. Yes, and then RDs, to clarify, also go through an internship between 
six months and a year and a half, depending on if you're doing just the internship itself um, or if you're tacking on a master's. There's kind of a variance of, of spectrum of how long the programs are, um, but typically they're going to be, you know, six plus rotations um, with a heavy clinical focus. So Allie and I both did ours in the Texas Medical Center here um, yes. and had quite a few of the, the clinical heavy. And I luckily got to rotate with Allie for two of them. <laughs> Oh. Yes. <laughs> um, so before we jump in and talk more about certification and um, different colleges and different programs, I'm so, so excited to talk about our newest podcast sponsor. We are bringing on Further Foods as a sponsor. We met them at KetoCon and we're yes. so pumped to have them on board. This episode of the Naturally Nourished podcast is sponsored by Further Food. Further food products are the highest quality food as medicine supplements, and their collagen is grass-fed and pasture-raised. And beyond their bovine option, they also have a wild-caught cod collagen. All of their products are certified non-GMO, and their animal-based products are hormone-free and antibiotic-free. Something that we are really stoked about as far as bringing them on as a sponsor is that the Further Food community is made up of functional medicine doctors, nutritionists, and personal health heroes who want to share their expertise to inspire the product formulations really work and people that use the products every day, Becky and I included. Yes. So we met Ashley and the Further Food team at KetoCon, and we immediately loved, first of all, their branding is really good. It's really cute. Uh, but we loved their products. We love that they are a women-owned and operated small business just like us. So we're looking at three women who each you know, have their own personal experience with chronic illness, IBS, Crohn's, and thyroid disease, and looking at how they manage their illness in part using things like collagen. Yes, and we have both transitioned to using their products and continue to get really fantastic results for connective tissue like hair, skin, and nails, as well as supporting gut function. And I've used their collagen in both hot and cold recipes and just this weekend used them in my zucchini collagen keto muffins, and they turned out fantastic. And I'm super, super pumped because sometimes when I travel and I don't want to bring little baggies of white powder with me, <laughs> I go a couple days off of collagen and they have really convenient individual packs that I can throw in Stella's diaper bag to mix into an iced green tea or have in the airport and still stay on track and support my gut and my immune system and connective tissue on the go. Awesome. And I'm really loving their daily turmeric tonic. It is so tasty. It's a blend of turmeric and other adaptogenic herbs. It's got some schisandra berry in there, black pepper, no anti-caking agents, no additives, no sugar. And it tastes really yummy. I tried it in a coconut milk type latte, like a, a golden turmeric latte. And I also had been putting it in bone broth over this past weekend. And it was so, so, so good. And we're going to work that into the blog, right, Becky? Yeah. Recipe creation. Yes. <laughs> and then a uh, big other kind of shout out to Further Food is on their price point. So I think for sure, probably my favorite part is that their integrity and quality is on point and they are affordable and provide accessibility for everyone to reap the benefits of collagen without breaking the bank. 
And then the feel good, dun dun dun, part of everything that ties it all together and makes you feel warm and fuzzy is that a part of their mission is to give back to community and they provide a portion of proceeds to support chronic illness and healthy eating nonprofit initiatives. So super stoked to have Further Food as a sponsor of today's episode. You can use the code AllieMillerRD at checkout when you go to furtherfood.com. Uh, we'll also put a link in our show notes. And when you use the code AllieMillerRD, you will get 10% off. And stay tuned. In the coming weeks, we will be doing a giveaway with their products. So be sure to stay tuned on AllieMillerRD on Instagram. And then I just wanted to share with you all a really helpful resource if you are looking into what uh, credentials are recognized in your state, it's nutritioned.org. You can look at a map actually of all the states in the U.S. and click on your individual state to see whether RD or nutritionist or what have you would be the best recognized credential in that area. Awesome. Fantastic. Look at you, Becky, <laughs> finding yes. all the things. They're <laughs> super helpful and it, it has them all kind of shaded and you'll see just by clicking on that, like RD exists in all of them and then nutritionist, you know, some places you can practice as a nutritionist without a credential at all, which is a little bit scary. Um, yes. Some places it's much more highly regulated um, and then some places are kind of a, a gray area. But I think for both of us, that was why RD was what we we decided to do is because it's the most widely recognized and is going to come with, um, you know, in, in most states, we can order labs and uh, medical grade supplements. So it's a bit more of a medical recognition, if you will. Yes. And I think generally speaking, the states that give an LD or a licensure within the state medical board so like Texas, for instance, is an RD, LD state that they tend to give more acknowledgement in those states to the registered dietitian as a practitioner as well. So a little bit of interest there as far as if you're looking at relocating your jobs and what and you are in RD, LD states, generally speaking, tend to have more... Uh, I guess, medical acknowledgement, if you will. And, and really, like you said, Becky, that's when I was working with, when I was taking that class, that advanced functional medicine course, and uh, I, I also got the, the pleasure of working with Michelle Babb as my practitioner in the Bastyr Naturopathic Clinic. I was at that time considering going and transitioning from the RD track to the ND track, and she really heavily weighed like, hey, if you stay RD, you can basically, you know, use your naturopathic background and use functional integrative medicine, and you can be acknowledged by the allopathic world. And so it's been a really cool thing for me in that sense that I kind of have a, a leg on both banks of the river, if you will. Yes. Love it. Um, so let's talk about what programs you'd recommend in terms of um, getting more of the functional RD nutrition background and also what the title functional RD actually entails. <laughs> yeah. So as far as colleges first, and then we'll talk about advanced certifications and such. So universities and colleges, uh, as I mentioned, Bestier is the only one that I can personally speak to. Um, and Bastier, to my knowledge, from everything that I searched, trying to, to find more resources and support for you guys that are asking me all these questions, it is the only one that is accredited that you're able to get your degree of either bachelor's of science in nutrition or master's of science in nutrition, and then actually also sit to become a registered dietitian. 
So as Becky mentioned, you do need to be in a program. It's, it's what is that called? The DPP? DPP or DI for dietetic internship. internship. Well, yeah. But the program prior to, you know what I mean? It has to be DP. DPP. Yes. Or DPD. We're didn't so bad. Didactic, didactic, <laughs> didactic program in dietetics, I believe. There you go. DPD. Yeah. DPD. So, so the university <laughs> itself, if you're looking to become a registered dietitian, just getting a bachelor's of science in nutrition or a master's of science in nutrition is not going to be the criteria necessary to actually get a dietetic internship and then sit for your RD examination. You do have to be in a program that has that DPD program. And it should be very clear to find when you're searching through nutrition colleges. But like I said, Bastyr is the only one that has a functional integrative or naturopathic approach that has that RD credential agreement, if you will. Um, so, you know, I think that that's what makes it very superior. It allows you to, if you choose to be a CNS, which is a certified nutrition specialist, or a CCN, which is a certified clinical nutritionist, as an alternative, again, those are degrees that are only allowed with a master's, so not a bachelor level, uh, but that's an alternative option if you did not want to become an RD. And some of these other schools, like Becky, you went to Bridgeport, is that right? So okay. University of Bridgeport. And, and when I was doing my research into this, um, I was still working full time running a juice bar and just wanted to get started somewhere. So I didn't have the option to physically relocate. Um, so University of Bridgeport is a fully online program, but you cannot do the RD track through them. So I went through a master's with a more functional medicine approach. Um, and I honestly was much more doing it um, just to get the information, just to kind of, you know, get some of probably, probably a, a third of what you learned at Bastyr Alley, to be honest. I wasn't in a national forest or um, <laughs> the amazing hands-on experience, um, but I really did it just to get my toe in the door, if you will. Um, and then I ended up doing that master's at the same time as my RD. I don't even know if that's like really allowed, but I did it. Um, <laughs> so I was doing kind of the two programs simultaneously and actually just finished um, the master's and, and completed my exam this past month, which is super exciting. Um, but that allows um, the CNS certification. I'm not, I'm choosing not to go for that certification just because I already have my RD, RD. and I don't really want to go through 500 supervised hours um, right. <laughs> under one of their certified practitioners. So. Right. So, so you have that parallel credential that you did through the University of Houston while you were living in Houston, but you wanted the educational component of the functional medicine. And I think also, like you said, you had kind of pre-done that just as we were starting to work together, you know, and, and now you're overly qualified, <laughs> but because you also had that immersion <laughs> naturally nourished clinic and you know, that may be alone. I don't know. You know, it's nice to always have, I think, foundational education and formal education within functional medicine as well. Absolutely. But it can get expensive, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, so I went to Best Year. Best Year you can do as an, uh, a secondary element to your foundational education if you're doing it as a bachelor's. And so I actually only have my bachelor's of science in nutrition, and then I'm a registered dietitian and a licensed dietitian, which is just through the state of Texas. And then I went on to get my certified diabetes education, um, which is a totally different certificate for RDs 
RNs, and I believe also MDs. So, so there are medical practitioners that can then sit to become a CD, but that's a different world. Um, so Bestier, you can come in at junior status of just your foundational bachelor's program, actually, and transition that, but they don't do your first two years of college. So you'd have to do that somewhere else anyway. So that's an, an interest for those of you that are just getting started in college, or if you didn't want to go through the master's type program and you wanted to do this as a second degree, like let's say your bachelor's was in, um, you know, fine arts or something like that, completely segregated, you might do some prereqs at a community college and then transfer to best year or something like that. And that might be a very cost-effective, immersive way to do this and end with the prereqs to set up for that dietetic internship. So if you want to become an RD, that's probably what I would say would be my strongest recommendation. Now, if you don't want to become an RD, there's other college programs. So I found the George Washington University, which has a master's of science in health sciences and integrative medicine. Uh, the Georgetown University, which has a master's of science in human physiology with a complementary and alternative medicine program. And then University of Western States, master's of science in human nutrition and functional medicine, um, which is out of Portland, Oregon, but online. I believe all three of these are online. And so the other one that Becky mentioned is University of Bridgeport which is also online. And um, like I said, all of those four now listed programs are flexible for those of you that are doing this as a second career or a later life career because they are online. But again, the highest credential you can get is a CNS or a CCN, of course, in addition to the Masters of Science that you'll get as credentials after the name. And that will really be varied based on the link we'll post in the show notes of what you can do with that credential. I know, for instance, in the state of Washington, which is where Bastyr is located, now they have a, a campus in California as well. But in the state of Washington, CCNs are given pretty much similar privy exception of hospital environments. Um, of what an RD would be. So a CCN or a CNS, generally speaking, cannot take a job in a hospital setting. And many listening to this probably don't want to work in a hospital anyway. So that may be irrelevant. Um, but the big variance that I really look at is, again, the ability to order labs, the ability to open accounts with pharmaceutical grade supplements so you can implement that orthomolecular type treatment protocol, and um, the ability to be acknowledged as a practitioner versus just a nutritionist. Awesome. Hopefully that's really helpful for listeners who are just kind of starting out and, and deciding what route to go. Right. And I would say, guys, absolutely do research on your own too, because these regulations are, they're honestly constantly evolving and changing. Oh, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's getting harder to be recognized as a nutritionist if you don't have your RD in certain states. So check up on what's current, whether you're listening now or, you know, six months from now could be a totally different state. And there could be other programs that we don't know about. So For do sure. your research. Um, let's talk about just beyond school, though, um, some of the platforms for advanced education uh, for medical professionals and what you've done, Allie, to continue your education. Sure. So there's two main organizations. There is the IFM, which is the Institute of Functional Medicine. And then there is the A4M, which is the American Anti-Aging Academy of Medicine. And it's kind of like this um, East Coast, West Coast, <laughs> I don't know, type, type shift. I think of like West Side Story. Um, but IFM is really where I have my heels sunk into the sand. 
And that's because they're out of Gig Harbor, Washington. Dr. Jeff Bland, I'm not sure if he still has a relationship. I, I know he has some relationship. I'm not sure if he is still the president or what role he has there, honestly. Um, but when he lectured to me at Bastyr and kind of that, that family of world, Metagenics is a supplement line that also comes out of Gig Harbor, Washington. And, and there's just kind of this like roots of that. Those are my people. <laughs> so I kind of align more with the IFM. And, and when I was doing my training, Again, it was the IFM modules, the IFM food lists, and all that type of stuff that we were using in, in our clinic at Bestier University. So the Institute of Functional Medicine is my personal highest recommendation, and um, they have a advanced certification program that is open to healthcare practitioners. So you have to be a licensed, a, a licensed chiropractor, D-O-M-D, uh, I believe they also do RN um, for nurses and they definitely do dietitians as well within there. So a licensed healthcare practitioner. So this is not something that you would just do as a career transition if you're not already working in healthcare, right? So this is someone that's already licensed and they got more of that conventional knowledge base and they want to sh shift their focus or their practice into more of a functional integrative model. And this program requires an application and the application, of course, requires their healthcare license, uh, resume, diploma, all that jazz. And then there is course load starting with a foundational course called the AFMCP, Applying Functional Medicine in Clinical Practice. That's a five-day module, which is uh, $2,500 last time I checked. And then there's six different functional advanced practice modules or APMs in GI, detox, immune, hormone, cardiometabolic, and energy. And energy goes into like mitochondrial function and such. And each of those modules ranges about $1,500 to $2,000. So really financially, this is like a advanced education because um, we're looking at around 20 something thousand dollars without hotel and flights, right? Um, and that's for these like long extended weekend modules and then that, that foundational course. And um, you can now do these online, so that will save a little bit of money, but I'm the kind of learner that I wanna be integrated, I wanna be physically there, <laughs> you know, nerding out for eight hours straight, immersion in the front row, that's how I learn, uh, raising my hand, chasing down the practitioners at the end of their lectures and asking them my specific questions. And then I wanna like have a good old glass of Cabernet and, and just like marinate in the information all night. <laughs> so that's how I need to do it. That's how I need to learn from these types of things. And we're gonna talk about learning study, learning um, styles in a moment. Because I think it's really important to check in with how you learn best if you're going to be financially and timeline investing in your education, of course. So you have to do their foundational work and then all of their modules. So I've done the AFMCP. I've done four modules. I have two left. And um, since Stella, I've kind of been delaying that. Um, but then once I finish those two modules, you do a case report and you have a written exam and you have to also have experience in the clinical realm. Uh, I forget how many hours documented, but it's hundreds of hours. And um, you have to get a, a passing um exam. And then you get certified as an IFM practitioner. And then there's still is maintenance and renewal. Every six years, you have to sit for a written examination. So it's pretty so, rigorous. Yes. That's and my then, next, my next advanced education. Project. Take it easy. Becky. <laughs> <laughs> take it easy. Uh, so the, you're, you're already on paper smarter than me. So yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, 
so just the a piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> so the AFM um, does have a board exam kit that I found online. Now, again, this is online. I have a direct relationship with Bestier and the IFM. I can't only speak everything else from what I've found online, but the A4M has a board exam kit that's only $695. And I think that's all you need to pay from what I found online to, to sit for their board. So I have a feeling that we could probably both Becky and I become board certified if we wanted quicker. Um, they do have advanced certification courses with modules. Like they had one specifically on cardiovascular certification that had four different modules and they're lettered like A through D E and they're about 2000 to $2,500 per module. And so it's four modules just for this advanced cardio certification, but it looks like their basic board exam. There aren't any required courses, which is kind of interesting. I think it's a lot of online hours and such as well. So those are the two kind of big credentialing, I guess, certification programs that are out there for MDs or physicians all the way through RDs, okay? And then there are certification programs for nutritionists and dietitians and nurses, and those break down into the Functional Nutrition Academy, which is a program that provides a IFNCP certificate. Um, Kathy Swift is one of the dietitians on there, and she did, I believe, do some work with the IFM, if I remember correctly. Um, and this is about a year and a half time. It's all online. Um, and then there is, in order to actually get the certification, clinical practice required. And then there's also next level functional nutrition. This is Susan Allen's program, and you become certified as an IFMNT. Um, again, a lot of these certifications are only relevant, even including the IFM and the A4M, and we're throwing a lot of letters today, um, <laughs> even including the Institute of Functional Medicine and the A4M, a lot of these certifications are really only relevant to the bodies that they serve. You know, wouldn't you agree, Becky, as far as like, it's, it, you're not going to have a job, uh, unless it's a job that has their foot in the pond of that certification program, that they're going to say you need this particular criteria. This is all more advanced learning and, and just kind of stamping that you've completed the program. Exactly. And I think at, at some point it becomes, you know, it's, it's the individual's wanting and desire to learn that gets you to go and get these certifications versus the place you work is going to tell you that you need them unless you're working in maybe an IFM certified clinic or something right. like then that. Right. And then they want that specific yeah. IFM criteria. And then, right. So, and again, like, right, if you wanted to work for a physician that is IFM certified, they may take this IFMNT program and say, okay, I've looked into it. It looks like, you know, it does have C and, and the nice thing I did find with both uh, Susan Allen and Kathy Swift's program is that they both do offer CEUs. So for those of you that are dietitians that need to keep CEUs up to keep your credentialing, you know, there's actually over a hundred CPEs um, or those advanced um, education hours that are offered through these types of trainings. So between 60 to 100 that you could get, which would be your five-year criteria to maintain your licensure. So looking at it in that sense, you know, it could be a very good investment and definitely one that's targeted on information you want to learn versus, you know, doing modules, just plug and play to, to get those numbers ramped up where you need them to be. So I think that both of those are worth looking into and we can put a link. I have, again, no affiliation, no direct communication with either of those programs, but I've heard good things from the couple um, organizations I'm involved in. 
Awesome. And then there are some non-degree or some programs that don't require you to have a medical license per se at all. So let's talk about those. If we're not going the RD route or if we're just looking to kind of tack something on to what we're currently doing and don't want to get into all of these certifying bodies, um, what about like the NTP program and things like that? Yes. So there's then a lot of other programs and organizations that you know, basically the only criteria necessary is a high school diploma. And uh, the only one that I know of broadly and and have seen some, I guess, snapshot of the criteria and feel somewhat confident recommending is the NTP, which is the Nutritional Therapy Association. Um, I know, for instance, uh, like Jimmy Moore's wife just completed her, uh, so there's NTP and NTC. I think she, she just completed her NTP. Um, but she'd probably be a good resource, Christine, um, to learn about that. And they were tabling at the KetoCon that we were at. Um, and it is an organization that does a nine-month program. So an NTC is a consultant. An NTP is a nutritional therapy practitioner. Um, now, again, as a individual that has a degree in nutritional sciences and a registration with board examination, and this takes at least six years of a time frame. Um, I, I have a little bit of an eyebrow squint when I hear the word practitioner being used for someone that does a nine-month program and, um, you know, only needs the criteria of a high school diploma. But I can't personally speak to it. I would just say if you're seeking health care, you need to be mindful of the individual's understanding of, you know, taking an entire three semesters of biochem, which would take in itself a year and a half versus the entire program being nine months in length. So I think that, you know, they definitely take an ancestralized approach to things. Um, they are pretty well versed on nutritional density, um, optimal digestion, leaky gut, and some of those things. But as far as really mastering the mechanisms of biochem, anatomy, physiology, and having any experience in a clinical environment, that's what's going to set those prior discussed programs apart. Sure. So that would be a good um, non-licensure route if you're just looking to get some information, but potentially, you know, wouldn't set you up to per se open a practice or, or you know, recognize in a way that was at least state licensed. Right. Um, so important to establish these are certifications. They're not licensure and there's a big, big difference medically, governmentally, and uh, you know, the majority of credible lab and supplement companies as well are probably not going to recognize these certifications. And that's actually, I, I think that's a really good point to bring up. And you can actually kind of uh, cherry pick the standard of quality of a lab based on who they allow to purchase their lab. Because let's be honest, this is business, right? So every business wants to make money, right? I think that's the point of a business. Um, but like, for instance, let's talk Doctors Data, Labrix, Genova. These organizations only allow doctor. I mean, I, I actually am able to order these labs because of a direct relationship with the physician. So, you know, the higher standard lab companies are going to have much more narrow windows. And there's just no comparison of, of looking at like a U-Biome stool test, which anyone can order, right? So you can order a U-Biome kit or your NTP or your nutritionist or, you know, fill in the blank cred credentialed or non-credentialed person can order the U-Biome. 
And you compare that to a doctor's data stool kit, and there's just no comparison. You can't look at calprotectin with ubiome, which is what is diagnostic criteria of inflammatory bowel disease. You can't look at lysosomes. You can't look at secretory IgA. I mean, there's so many important functional assessment measures that are really locked and loaded for only the credentialed practitioner to order. And I think that in sense, that's a good thing because otherwise there's an irresponsibility of information with maybe misuse of interpretation. Um, and, you know, same thing goes to it was a food sensitivity arena. If we're comparing pinner test, right, which you can do with a nutritionist or anyone to the MRT test, which is required for registered dietitians and physicians, again, totally different world of information we're going to get there. Accuracy from going from a 60% false positive um, with the pinner or other technology using an IgG4 to MRT of a 99.4% accuracy, big deal, better investment. And so when you are as a consumer selecting your practitioner, understanding what they're able to order will give you a little bit about their background and their licensure. And then same thing with, with supplements. Um, I actually was mentoring a good friend um, and uh, she's an RN and she wasn't able to open a supplement account um, through, I believe it was Metagenics or Designs for Health. Um, and so these are really high level supplement lines that thank God they do give their criteria to allow registered dietitians to work with. Um, and, you know, we then with the naturally nourished supplement line are able to private label things that I've seen in clinic for the last five years to yield the best outcomes. And I'm able to invest in that private label and that and disseminate that online to all of you. Um, but the licensure of an MD or an RD or a DO or a chiropractor is necessary and they don't even acknowledge nurses. Um, and so I think it's really important to be mindful of, you know, what you have access to on a supplement level and on a lab level when you're paying to work with a practitioner. And I think it should be superior to what you have access to at Whole Foods or online. Yes, absolutely. And we're seeing more and more of things along the lines of the pinner test and even like home test kits that the individual can order. And it's, it's kind of a, a mucky and, and scary world out there. It's like, what are you going to do with this information? And will it even be interpreted correctly? And is it even relevant to what's going on in your body? Um, and so when it comes down to it, I always say working with a practitioner is best. And, and yeah, working with a practitioner who knows their way around the lab and has been doing this for a long time and, and, and wasn't trained in one yes. yeah and wasn't trained in one way you know like when you're doing a program in under a year you're gonna of course maybe if the focus is on leaky gut maybe you'll understand what leaky gut is but you're kind of in this tunnel vision of this a plus b equals c um and it's really the skill of the practitioner to be able to step back and say okay what is the entry point again as a functional medicine practitioner what is the driving cause of dysfunction for this individual? Yes, they're expressing this, this, and this, and this could be adrenal fatigue, this could be this, and this lab is showing this, but when I look at their micronutrient test and they're low in biotin and vitamin K and um, oleic acid, this looks to me not only like I wanna replete those deficiencies, but it actually looks like dysbiosis because I know that biotin and vitamin K are manufactured in the colon and boom, 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 boom. It's like. It's taking things to the next level of really that individualized approach and understanding again about the mechanisms of action, biochemistry, and anatomy and physiology of the body. 
Exactly. Um, and before we move on um, with more things you can do as a functional medicine dietitian, let's just talk about how some of these programs uh, or most of these programs are going to be online. They may have some kind of hands-on component, uh, but I'm sure that really you know, can impact the individual's learning style. And I know for me, I found it very difficult oftentimes with my online program to uh, contextualize what I was learning because I didn't have patients I was actively practicing on at first. And then, you know, as I started getting more involved with Naturally Nourished, Allie gave me, you know, people I could work with clinically just doing meal planning. And I feel like I learned way more honestly from that than I did oftentimes in my classes. Sure. And, and I think that's what I commonly see on a lot of the like Facebook boards and such that I'm in with uh, dietitians that are looking to transition their career or whatnot. Now, if you have access to patients, period, that can be helpful because then you have a story, right? You have context, like you said. So, oh, there's Mary Sue. And yes, she does have probably too high dose of her glucophage and this is what's going on and blah, 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 blah. You can put the pieces together and they tie in your brain to a person. There's that emotional component as well as the informational, right? And, and that tends to kind of help to iron things out. Um, when you just learn with a case study and it's not real, you can learn it and you can try to understand it, but it can be a little difficult to stick to. So I really think that for those that are already seeing patients, even if it's in an institution, like a hospital setting where you're not able to do the interventions, you can at least start to work the problem solving wheel. Um, but you know, really for me, I, I think that I lucked out in the sense that at Bastyr even, um, when I was in the naturopathic clinic during my rotation, well, some of us were only able to use case studies. They cherry picked the students, I think based on our GPA and some other, I don't know, excellence. I don't know. <laughs> that actually got to work in the clinic because the I was in the bachelor's program again. So all the masters got to be in the clinic, but I was one of the five that got to be in the actual naturopathic clinic versus case study. And honestly, I don't think I'd be where I am today if I was doing case studies. It's just totally different. Um, and the cool thing about being in the naturopathic clinic was our preceptor would wear two sets of headphones and they would sit in this middle glass room. So we were working with real patients, you know, so they're coming in for an appointment. They would sign a waiver knowing that they were going to work with a student practitioner because they'd get a reduced fee. And so they'd have a reduced billable fee. They'd work with a student practitioner and halfway through after we'd finished their intake, we would leave the room and our practitioner. So I had Michelle Babb. She'd take her headphones off one ear and she's still like simultaneously listening to the other one because she would, would stagger the appointments. And she'd be like, okay, what do you think, Allie? And I'd be like, I think this individual has SIBO based on evidence of bloating and distension above the belly button accompanied by belching. I'd like to start them with it. And then I would say, you know, they're also stressed. So that may be hindering their digestive juices. And then, you know, I'd talk about the problem first and what I see. Then we'd talk about interventions. Then we would talk about complementary handouts. So what materials are you going to provide for this patient? What advanced labs do you want to do with this patient right away? And um, I'll let you do the goal setting organic in session. And then the practitioner would come into the session with me and say, hi, I am, you know, so-and-so I'm licensed and registered as this. I've overheard your session. 
I approve and I'm on board and signing off on this plan. And then me as the student practitioner got to work through the implementation and education of actually what that plan was going to be. So to have that ability, it's just, you just can't mimic it, right? To like have the ability of like a real human that has a problem that you don't know what you're going to get dealt. Maybe you had the intake form in advance. We have no idea what's going to come out in that first 30 minutes. And then to process that with your practitioner and then to be able to implement and deliver was really super unique. And I got to do that for um, 18 weeks, you know? Um, and so that, that was pretty awesome. And then, you know, we would do the charting on them and everything. And then following that, my first job out of um, school was working for a physician and the doctor's office was right next to mine. And as I was doing things, I would get to pop in and out. She'd pop in and out. She was learning from me about functional medicine. I was learning from her about medicine, medicine. <laughs> and uh, we just had a really nice organic relationship where we were constantly able to like field questions, feel things out. And I think that that's a huge, huge piece of, of really making something stick and allowing you to master something. Sure. And like the, I did a virtual clinic as part of my master's and it was, it was helpful in terms of me organizing my thoughts, but it's not the same as, and, you know, organizing my interventions and, and working through these case studies, but it's not the same as that, like in the moment what are you going to do and how are you going to learn how to actually be a practitioner? And that's something, Allie, that you've said to me over and over is, you know, it's not about knowing all this stuff because I still don't know, you know, I'm, I'm scratching the surface. I still don't know so many things, um, but it's about how you deliver it and how you are as a clinician that really is going to get your patients on board with your, uh, right. with your goals and for them and with the lab testing that you want to do and get you those outcomes. So I know it's something that you tried to emulate with me in my training um, during my internship. I would uh, spend extended periods of time observing Allie and her patients. And at this time you had transitioned to fully virtual. So I was in your house sitting there helping you chart. Uh -huh. um, and then I started to take on my own patients. So we would see them together and I would do the majority of the intake. And again, we would take like a 10 minute break and, you know, walk downstairs, refill our coffee mugs and uh, talk through what I was planning to do with this patient. Allie would present to me questions like, oh, have you thought about this aspect or why are they presenting in this given way, et cetera. And we'd kind of come up with it together. And then I would have to present to the patient. And I've gotten yeah. a lot better at it, I think, since starting. That was about a year ago, actually, Allie. Yeah, girl. Yeah. <laughs> You've gotten awesome yeah. at it. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. And, from, and, and that's the thing that's empowering, too. If you're listening to this and you're not ready to go back to school and you want to do like an NTP program, the dissemination of information and the goal setting and motivational interviewing and some of those skill sets are really what turns sexy science into results, right? And so I think that if I was ever to regrow my clinic, you know, having lifestyle educators, if you will, or health coaches or whatever we call them, you know, nutritionists um, on board, I think is a big piece of the puzzle because unfortunately being a, a primary practitioner for many people, there isn't always enough time for that, um, you know, to really get into the nuts and berries of, of their day-to-day -day function beyond a 24-hour recall and some macro strategy on, um, you know, shifts of carb, protein, and fat, and, and of course, elimination diet and such. We talk a lot about food, but because we do go very high level, often um, I would always love to spend more time on that, and I think that's really important 
And at the end of the day, the patient needs to know what's in your mind uh, with good understanding and transparency so they're ready to commit. Exactly. And being able to break it down to them at a level that they'll understand. Like you can have all the biochem in the world, but if you can't explain something in a way that the average person is going to understand, they're never going to connect it to their body. And and that really is um, a huge piece of the functional medicine model is just telling this story and interweaving the things that are actually happening versus saying, oh, you know, low progesterone can cause a variety of symptoms. It's like right. connect the dots. And, and you've said that to me so many times is yeah. like, get this back together or connect the dots. Um, they need and, to have that aha yes. moment. That's, yeah. that's what a successful session is, is your, your client saying, aha, that's me. When you're describing the story back and where you want to take them, they have to say 10 times, that's me, that's me, yep, yep. Yep. Um, because exactly, just going through a random list of this means this, if it doesn't resonate, just don't say it. They, you know, So if someone has low progesterone and they're dealing with insomnia, you might mention that. Or if they're dealing with belly fat based on estrogen dominance in light of low progesterone, you might mention that. But you wouldn't mention the fluid retention associated with progesterone levels being low if they don't have fluid retention, because then that's a disconnect, right? And you're never going to express all elements of a area of imbalance. Sure. Awesome. So let's talk about um, in what kind of facility or um, with what types of practitioners one could work with a functional RD certification. Okay. Yeah. So let's go into just the the end of being the RD licensure specifically. So as I said, being an RD, you can work in a hospital environment. So when I transitioned, uh, so I I took my first job working for uh, an internal medicine and pediatric uh, physician. And um, I did that for three years before opening Naturally Nourished. And right when I opened Naturally Nourished, I also was recruited by MD Anderson uh, to help with development of a stage three breast cancer research study. And we talked about that in earlier episodes. We actually uh, did an interview with Dr. Lorenzo Cohen and, He's phenomenal and has a book out on anti-cancer living, and um, you can hear more about that study there. But research studies, right? Contributing to research papers, being a part of a research team, that's generally necessary for an RD. And that may not even need a functional element. It just depends on the type of research. Um, And maybe you can pair yourself with a research institute that does more functional, and that's how you can learn, right? Um, directing programs with other medical team members could be done as an R&D. So I was actually the director of integrative medicine of that physician's practice that I worked at my first three years of my career. Um, and that's going to depend on, of course, personality management skills and things like that as well. Um, but the big thing as an R&D is that you can work in a hospital or in an institution and you can contribute to research studies and you can work with other practitioners including physicians. I think that's the biggest thing is that physicians acknowledge you essentially. (laughs) But again, that depends on the limitations of the role and the institution itself. Um, Because as we both know, and as many RDs know, um, based on the hospitals you've rotated through sitting for your examination, oftentimes it seems as if the dietitian notes don't even get looked at. Um, (laughs) So your acknowledgement really depends on how you establish yourself within the other personalities, within the the other roles, and within the guidelines of the institution in which you practice. And the same thing could be said about, you know, the the research study that I implemented and started to develop. Well, I developed the protocol for MD Anderson, but then didn't 
actually do the educational component because Naturally Nourish was growing. And I really felt like that big dog on campus, there was so many rules and guidelines as far as even trying to make the diet gluten-free took, I believe, eight weeks um, of me going back and forth to panels and talking about present, presenting literally research studies on gliadin and its pro-inflammatory mechanisms. And then people on the board would say, but it doesn't cause cancer. And I would say, but it causes inflammation. And here's 17 other studies that show that cancer proliferates by inflammatory processes. And if we're creating a research study, don't we want to create a hypothesis that connects something that's pro-inflammatory and creates gut, uh, you know, leaky gut or gut enteropathy to driving inflammation to driving cancer? You know, it's just like a constant. So I am someone that, that really does well in a private practice setting without institutional curriculum more, to say the least. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about kind of that career evolution, I guess, and, um, you know, kind of what a day in your life now looks like without all of that restriction and sitting before the board every day, um, how private practice has evolved to give you freedom to work with your clients. Yeah, you want to work with them. Freedom-ish, I would say. Um, <laughs> Freedom is an interesting word. Sure. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, so when I started off, so as a functional medicine RD in the, those first three years, I was running a weight loss clinic. So it was a ketogenic weight loss clinic. Um, and that's really where I kind of started with my implementation of the ketogenic diet. And it was a, a very low calorie diet program that was started that I transitioned into a whole food program. So I would teach one class a, a week on that, and it was people that would enroll for an entire year program. So I had a 52-week curriculum that I developed of this program for that, that world, and it was a ketogenic 52-week weight loss group. So I ran that weekly class, and at one point, we had three classes simultaneously going on. So I had hired another full-time dietitian and then a part-time dietitian under me. So we'd have like a Saturday morning class. I would teach the Thursday night. And then there was also like a Monday lunch hour or something like that. Um, and so teaching weight loss classes, I also beyond that taught diabetes education classes once I became a CDE. So we would teach people how to use glucometers, teach them about their medication. And then of course the influence of diet and diet strategy. And I had levels of my diabetes education classes that I had participants going through. Uh, so talking about the connections of stress and whatnot. And this particular role, I was really able to create my curriculum. So that was very cool. Um, so I would have probably two evening classes. Um, I worked, like I said, directly next to the physician. I um, had nine to five, I would have patients. Um, and I worked four days a week. Um, and then the physician I worked with took active call at two hospitals. So she always had, like I said, awesome stories. And I learned about so many things. I, I could not be where I am today unless I really sponged her. Um, because so many topics, again, that even at Bastyr and whatnot, you can't get in three years of working hand in hand with a physician. Um, so that's really where I also kind of gained my, uh, what is it, my feathers or whatever of like, I could, I know what this, I know what the rhabdomyolysis, I know what that is, mm -hmm. and I know what labs you'd wanna run and what would happen in the clinical model and how I'd look at this nutritionally. Um, just experiencing a whole array of conditions was awesome. And then I started to pick up the media side of things like with a weekly TV segment. 
the producer at ABC got off of her diabetic and hypertensive medication. Um, predominantly in the clinic I worked, I did dysmetabolic syndrome. So it was elevated weight, um, elevated blood pressure, elevated blood sugar, and dyslipidemia or imbalanced cholesterol. So um, when the producer did so well, she got me a TV segment and then I actually got pulled onto Fox and um, did a weekly TV segment. I would do her newsletter. I started to learn about running a website and some of the social media presence. And then on my off day, which was uh, Mondays or Fridays, depending, I cooked for patients um, that were totally separate, um, not patients from her clinic. And um, I've always been a hustler. I think like the moral of today, if you're thinking of making a career change is you have to hustle. Yep. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was, I was working 40 plus hours totally didn't have time. Obviously I didn't have a child cause it wouldn't have worked. Um, and, uh, then I was cooking. Um, so I could make about, I think I made 750 bucks on my cooking day. And I started saving that to build my naturally nourished website. Um, so that was like my separate money to like build my private practice. And, um, the limitation and why I wanted to build my private practice was that the physician ultimately that I worked for didn't fully believe in functional medicine or food as medicine. She was very open to me doing what I wanted to do, but I didn't have access to as many advanced labs. We did have an account with Genova, but um, I didn't have an account with Spectracell and Labrix and a lot of these other functional elements that I wanted to apply from my independent learning strategy and my background in naturopathic medicine. Awesome. And yeah, that, that hustle alley, it's super evident. I hope to all of our listeners as well. And I think that's something we both have in common and it's something that yes. nobody can take away from you. If you've yeah. got it, you've got it and you, you have to have it in this world, especially if you're going for this as a, a second or even third career. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about the transition then um, from working in the doctor's office to picking up in private practice and what that all looks like. Sure. So, uh, like I said, pretty much when I opened my private practice within two months, I was recruited by MD Anderson, which was nice because that first six months of my private practice, I had the overlap of some security. I had like a retainer with them basically for developing the research study. So I was able to kind of have a stipended income. Um, and I wasn't planning on that. That just worked out really nicely as I was building up my private practice. And I did a lot of tabling at the farmer's market. That was a big area where I picked up clients. And then I did have some media presence. I had been doing those TV segments for two years at that point. Um, and so I started picking up accounts with all of the functional labs that I wanted to work with that I didn't have the ability to under this position. And um, so I picked up an account with Spectracell. It, it was a lot of organic meet and greeting, you know, going to their sponsored dinners, engaging with other practitioners, learning about how to assess their labs from the, the vendors themselves, you know, and then running the labs on myself and troubleshooting. And um, everything just started to grow really organically. And I think at the end of my first year, I had just shy of 250 patients. And um, at the end of my third year, um, I had five full-time employees and um, over 2,000 patients. And um, it's been kind of bananas since then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that part of my day, most of my day, especially until I transitioned into virtual, was seven to nine patients a week. At my peak of my business, I was seeing seven to nine clients a week, you know, um, and I was seeing about 30 plus patients a week. I was 
also managing my practitioners under me. So I had two full-time dietitians, and that's when you were starting to come on doing some nutrition education. Um, I had three admin people on staff. I um, was doing all the primary coordination of care with the medical center. Like if, for instance, we ran stool for a second time and there was a resistant parasite and we needed a prescription for metronidazole or flagyl, right? Um, I would need to then write that coordinating letter to that GI doc, follow up with a phone call, make sure things. So a lot of hands-on work, a lot of connecting the dots. Um, and I think at the end, it was the, the, the straw that breaks the camel back was the managing a team and other people beyond my clinic and then having this pull of this, this growth on a social and outward media platform and the podcast growth and all these things as well. And um, something had to give. <laughs> yeah. And we talked all about all of the crazy back in episode 43, finding your bliss. And I think we're like right at the year mark, probably when this episode came out that yeah. came on the podcast at episode 43. And that was our first, um, or maybe it was our second. 42nd was the first one on the recovering yeah. vegan. Yeah. Right. And, and 43 was our second one together. Uh, but you are now a year, a full year post transition of moving to Austin, working virtually. And um, let's talk about what things look like now for you on a typical week? I know your hustle hasn't slowed down. No. But <laughs> it looks different though. <laughs> it looks different. <laughs> yeah. So now I see clients, I limit myself to three days a week. And I started doing that when I signed a book deal because <laughs> I'm a psycho. So I pretty much moved to Austin. I signed a book deal very quickly in that process, I think in September or August. And, um, I needed to create time to write the book. So I blocked my Thursdays for my clinic to write my book. And now I try to do like blog. Now I'm doing a lot of guest interviews for podcasts on Thursdays or uh, writing for magazines and things like that. So that's kind of my media day. And then Monday is the like, get the wheel started slowly. This one, we record our podcast episodes and um, also kind of touch base on the, the many moving pieces of all of the things. Um, and then I see clients Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. And even within that, I'm trying to keep them within a six hour window. I'm still seeing about 18 to 20 a week, um, give or take. And so I see about six to eight a day on those three days a week. Um, because I still have the fringe of all of my client load that I can easily get 47 emails. I can get over 115 emails, but I can get 47 emails in a day that need a specific reply and about 30 of those require me going into their chart, looking at their supplements, looking at factors before I can answer off the cuff. Um, so these aren't like yes and no questions. These aren't like a quick like, oh, replace this ingredient with that. This is like, I'm having this flare. I've switched this, you know, uh, per your recommendations and this is happening and I have to go back and spend 15 minutes per, you know, email minimum, um, to really address that individual's need. And, um, so it's, it still is very heavy clinic demand. And, um, I've been having fun with now since the book is out to print, having that Thursday space to be doing a little bit more social organic growth. And, um, I think that that's been a really awesome transition. Um, and it allows me to mellow out in the sense that I'm not going for a TV segment, I really think that that's a huge light off of me because I don't like wearing makeup. I don't like 
you know, having to put myself together right now, I'm talking to you guys in my pajamas and, um, some slippers and like, I'm stoked about that. (laughs) (laughs) My best life right now, um, in my Birkenstocks. Right. And, and it's like, that's what I really dig too about the virtual thing is I don't feel like I have to show up for anyone. I am there with my brain and my soul and my energy and everything is with 110% integrity. And I don't have to like, you know, wear any face to do it. Um, I can be a hundred percent authentic. And I think that that shows through in social media in the sense that like, and I always say that I'm like, dudes, I am a healthcare practitioner and that's why my Instagram stories aren't going to have the best lighting. And that's why, you know, Stella will be screaming in the background. And that's why this, I want to get you guys the information. I want to inspire you and, you know, share my worth with you. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be premeditated. (laughs) It might not be shiny and had bells and whistles, but that is what it is. Yes. And I think the, the mellowing out piece is something you're constantly having to remind yourself of and tap back into. But, you know, as we said, a big theme of being successful in any kind of career transition is that hustle. Yep. And Brady always says, he's like, so, you know, now what you, you birthed this book. What's next? I'm already like, I, I mean, I'm like, having to to take my CBD oil at night to like shut it down steam train <laughs> take it easy brain because <laughs> I'm like ooh ah I have all these ideas and I think the launch of our uh, virtual food is medicine and ketosis program has been so fun we're now going into our second this September will be the, the second year or the I guess the the completion of the first full first full year so what second, second year, year. yeah, yeah. <laughs> program is going to be our second year of that and we've even every round updated things and adjusted but it's been so awesome seeing we've hit over a thousand participants now we've had over 10 physicians take our course and it's like this is so awesome and again it's it's I don't have to show up I don't have to buy demo materials when we taught the class in office it just had a different a different suck um, of a cost to benefit ratio and I think the benefit is higher and the cost is lower uh, with this virtual platform and it's been super, super cool. Sure. And ultimately, I think for both of us, it's about reaching as many people as we can with our message um, without burning ourselves out at the same time. So I think the, the keto group is a great example of that versus seeing, you know, 12 to 20 people in office, we can have 100 people in our virtual keto group and still get them the same really good quality information. And we're still seeing amazing, amazing results. Absolutely. Right. For sure. (laughs) Awesome. And there's the whole world of social media and all of these other things on top of it. But sometimes we're too busy. Just, you know, we call it not dying. Yes. We call it not dying. (laughs) And it's been so fun. All of the organic growth that's been coming with individuals that I've, you know, shared panels with, um, at paleo effects or KetoCon and, and kind of the growth of these speaking platforms that I think is really sharing the word. And the same thing uh, today is not about career per se, but it's just like we were talking earlier with what you're investing in with your education. I, I don't invest any money right now in marketing because it's like, it's, it's the authenticity and the genuinity and the real organic growth that matters. And, um, that's, what's going to be the, the best return on your investment. Awesome. I love it. And so before we wrap up, I know people are going to ask about whether you have any mentoring opportunities or webinars or professional education. So let's just address that real quick. Yes. So, um, 
right now, I, I actually had a program I was going to launch and then I got pregnant and that's fine. Um, so I won't even go down that rabbit hole, but uh, I am thinking about doing a webinar on it. And so I'm going to, I think, relaunch my webinars on AllieMillerRD.com. So stay tuned on that. And a lot of those will be very clinically relevant. And I think I also, in the year 2019, I'm going to apply for CPEs for some of those. So stay tuned for that. Aside from that, there's always something to learn. And so if you listen to like a podcast, like I have a two-part podcast on PCOS. Let's say you want to learn deeper down the rabbit hole or you have a patient that you're working with because you are a practitioner listening to this and you know you want to run some things by me. I do have a 20-minute Q&A option on my uh, virtual practice tab of Allie Miller RD. It's 175 bucks and you can totally pick my brain. Um, we can look at a lab review. So that's something that I know a lot of people have utilized, um, especially people that I meet at conferences and such. So that's right now what's available as an option. And um, I think the best avenue is our podcast though. Yep. I mean, I think it's something to sit and nerd out on and uh, learn deeper down the rabbit hole. Use my supplement line, um, you know, obviously order it. That'd be the best because you can support me with your, your dollar investment. But you can even use it as a platform to learn from. Like, oh, this is the berberine boost Allie uses. Ha, huh, she likes Oregon grapefruit as a whole food compound. I wonder what that's all about. Dig deeper down the rabbit hole with the Google machine, you know? And so you can kind of learn about things through the avenues that we're putting out there. And then if you have particulars, you can always do that 20 minute Q&A. Awesome. And then beyond our podcast as an awesome, awesome resource, any other gems that you want to share as resources for someone wanting to dig deeper? Yeah. So for medical professionals, the IFM textbook and the clinical nutrition textbook through the IFM are my top two recommendations. And we will add both of those to our Amazon store. Um, and then other books that I love are, uh, so like for keto stuff, the art and science of low carb living, uh, by Volokh and Finney keto clarity by Jimmy Moore and, and Dr. Westman. Uh, and then other particular focuses like Dr. Terry Walls with her Walls Protocol and Cooking for Life if you're looking at neurological disease or um, Alzheimer's and Cognitive Decline Brain Brain and Brain Maker by Dr. David Perlmutter or Autoimmune Solution by Dr. Amy Myers. Um, so we'll bulk up the um, book part of our Amazon store with a lot of our favorites. And I think that those are big resources as well. And then as I mentioned earlier, if you have a license, opening accounts with labs is one of the best things you can do. So open an account with SpectraCell, Doctors Data, uh, Labrix, Genova, Dutch, and um, start taking partaking in their advanced education modules. Um, open accounts with supplement lines like Metagenics, Designs for Health, Biogenesis, um, any of these that are pharmaceutical grade and require licensure they're going to have really awesome advanced education platforms. Yes. I'm constantly seeing things come across. Like if I just didn't have a patient at this time, I could <laughs> participate. Right. There's tons yeah. of resources within all of those companies. And, then and really, I, I was just going to say, I think as far as selecting books, you know, it's just about like thinking about what topic you want to master and then like, who's the master in that environment. So um, like, I think Dr. Walls is bar none, the master. I mean, she's gotten herself from wheelchair status to walking. So if you want to learn about functional medicine and MS, that's who you need to read this book. You know, that's the work that you want to master and learn more about her approach. And speaking of masters and their books, Allie, um, I got to make a plug for you with the anti-anxiety diet um, 
I've just finally gotten my hands on the final, final, final version. So, so excited that the book is now officially gone to print. Um, And there are tons of resources in there you know, beyond just um, the average person who picks up the book for practitioners, the supplement section that is broken down into each R of the six R's yes. of the anxiety diet. That's huge, huge, huge. And I had so much fun just reviewing some of these resources as you were putting them together. Um, the functional labs are noted and reference ranges and uh, you included lab companies, you know, beyond just the ones that we use that also offer these labs, where to get them drawn, what you're looking for in terms of a functional range versus just a kind of the general range that you get or the reference range you get on a lab, Um, the quizzes and the protocol with 40 plus recipes. I mean, huge, huge, huge tool and resource for anyone who's looking to dig deeper into the area of anxiety or mood, uh, depression, and well beyond that as well. Yeah, access. Yeah, yes. for sure. For sure. Yeah, good. Well, I, yeah, I hope, I mean, right. I would aspire to be on a list of those names. We'll see. <laughs> you guys will all help if you can, uh, of course, pre-purchase your copy and leave a review on Amazon um, or wherever you purchase. We always plug leaving a review on the podcast, but as the book is really revving in these next couple months, that is a huge, huge, huge support. If you guys can take pictures, share yourself reading it on your social media, tag at Allie Miller RD, and um, definitely leave a review. Always, always helpful. Um, so I hope today's episode gave you guys more information. You know, in general, if you are a dietitian, I would highly recommend the Institute of Functional Medicine as far as the, the medical practitioner world um, and, and really just working your butt off to find a mentor through their programs. The cool thing about IFM is you can search practitioners in your zip code, literally go buy them lunch and talk to them and see if you can volunteer. That's where you're going to learn the most. Um, and if you aren't an RD, you could take that same approach and see if you could work as a health coach for them. Um, but, you know, just really thinking about whether you need a license or a certification. Um, and I think those are the first two things to weed out. And then creating professional relationships in your environment is where you're really going to make things stick. And that's where you'll really be able to create a career out of the education. Yes. Find the person who is doing whatever it is you want to do the best and then follow them around until <laughs> the job comes up. That's what I did, guys. Buy them a Bloody Mary with bacon. <laughs> exactly. Buy them a Bloody Mary and um, hang around until something comes up or follow their resources or, you know, seek to learn as much as you possibly can to get to that level. Uh, but it is, it's so much about initiative, but it's also about passion and, and yeah. you know, personal situation, circumstance aside of what program you can do. If the passion and the hustle is there, you know, that's really what you need to at least start and kick off the journey. For sure. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.